Well, the haters gonna hate, 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 and the fakers gonna fake, 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 baby. I'm just gonna make, 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 making luck, making luck. A Dominion podcast. Welcome to Making Luck, <laughs> a Dominion podcast. On its last legs, you might say. That's that's not true. Well, the raffle is. Yeah. What is the podcast without the raffle? Honestly. <laughs> okay. Um. <laughs> My name's Adam, and this is Jake. Hey guys. Uh, I'm Jake. <laughs> so, uh, how's how's the raffle going? Uh, it's... <laughs> Nobody gave me any ideas. Hmm. Um, and I was really hoping I would get some, so I don't have any. Um, it was it was Mother's Day recently. Um, I've been really involved in that. Yeah? Um, Do you have a mother? Yeah. Me um, too. I'm a mother enthusiast, you might say. Oh, um, yeah? You, so, you like your mom? Yeah, I got her uh, a candle. Oh, yeah? Yeah, so um, that could be a raffle prize. Does anyone want a candle? Is it going to be the same candle you gave your mom? You're just going to go take it back and raffle it off? No, she needs that, um, (laughs) I guess. Moms need candles. What do do they do with them? They light them on fire. Yeah, okay. Like, like... oh, God. (laughs) Oh, God. Adam has just destroyed a very expensive piece of equipment. We're not editing this out. Quite possibly, it's it's broken too. It's that uh, seems unlikely, but I mean, yeah, it wasn't that great of all. But yeah, I, I really <laughs> always did wonder about that. Like, do does every mom in the country just have this closet full of candles? And like, if so, is that a good thing? Do they do they look at those candles and just like as a collection and treasure Candle. them and be like, oh, these are my candles? Or is it more like, oh god, another. F- candle what did i where did i go wrong um <laughs> candles probably have sentimental value sure so like is that like they're like looking at smeagol like the candles like smeagol like opening up her closet full of candles and, like, i mean her let, let me together let me let me try and make a comparison here like i'm gonna be a father soon and like sure i i mean i have friends that i know that have their own children and like I mean, you can see over there, I'll try not to drop the webcam again. I don't know if you can see it. That white sticky note has scribbles from a marker on it. That's from my my friend's daughter. She drew that for me, and I really like that thing. So I imagine when it's my own kid, it's going to be a lot more like that. It looks just like you. Yeah. 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 She said that was a picture of a bird, which was also her. Oh, it looks just like her. Yeah, because she, she was Probably. a bird. Yeah. But, uh, but also, <laughs> like... Um, you know, I'm not. I'm not afraid to admit that. You know, we have like the more impressive hairs from our cat taped to the wall of our kitchen, along with a really cool whisker. We call it the gallery. Yeah, it's actually really weird. It's not weird. I don't know how this started, but it's not just weird. Got them taped up there, and it's not weird. I'm not like. There's no explanation for it. Is the weird part like that's? It's like if there was some like. We started doing this because X or whatever. Because we just wanted to see how many stripes were on we could get, like on one single hair. That makes it worse, not better. Like that made that made it worse. It's not weird. You didn't clear it up. You made it murkier. It's not. (laughs) It's not weird. I don't think I've ever seen a whisker that big. It's amazing. I've never looked for that, so I believe you. Yeah. See, he's jealous, is what he is. Yeah, I wish I had an animal that just had a hair everywhere and I could tape it to things. Yeah, yeah. So that sounds great. It sure does. So, uh, the so girlfriend has dogs. Oh yeah, is that yeah, yeah. Cool. I'm not going anywhere with that. Oh so, okay. Um, yeah. Um, Nito. <laughs> Nito. Well, yeah. uh, well, we have. Uh, I hope you like bread because there's going to be a good amount of bread coming up here. Yeah, we have a few kingdoms to talk about because there were um, a few things that we just probably missed or just like updates that have happened between now and then, right? From the last time we talked about this. Yeah, I got a chance to play uh, some games with Wandering Window over the the last few breads, and I wanted to get some updates on that. So uh, there was the one from two weeks ago. It uh, it was the one with castles and Silk Road, and it had like Ghost Town hunting grounds, and Gladiator Fortune was the only plus buy, and there was Fool in it too. Uh, I'm not gonna like read the whole kingdom because those are just the relevant cards. We had kind of sure. decided that like Gladiator Fortune wasn't worth it, and like you want a deck with a lot of hunting grounds because you have Lucky Coin and like a Baker or two. But if they go for Fortune, then you know you build a little bit, but you're sad. 
if you went for the Gladiator, because that wasn't a good card for the deck. Yeah, you can get a breakdown of that if you go and watch the games that Adam and I played. Um, you can see how that dynamic breaks out. There's a timestamp there where I have this revelation, like, oh my god, everything I'm doing is terrible. Yeah. And um, so you can hear about that. So I did mention this on the bread when we recap that, that Wandering Winder said that he thought a slog was good there. And, like, you don't discount Wandering Winder when he wants to slog, because he just does some stuff. I've heard that before. And, uh, <laughs> he did some stuff. It turns out that slog just destroys everything else here. Like, so, like, what, what do you mean by slog? Like, what is that? When you say slog, what kind of deck is that? What does it look like? Well, I don't have a really good definition, but, uh, I can describe the deck in this case. So you open Fool Baker, because that's just the best thing no matter what. And uh, you start greening maybe on turn 5 or turn 6. And you just get, like, a lot of silver. And you get Humble Castle, you get a castle when you can, and you get a Silk Road when you can't. And when you get to Sprawling Castle, you take the three estates. And, like, you get a second baker at some point. But, like, you never bother with hunting grounds. You just get silvers from Lucky Coin. It's no Ghost Towns, no hunting grounds. Nothing. It's, okay. like, you buy Fool and Baker as the kingdom actions, and then, like, okay. castles and silk rows. Do you, you, get, get, do you get more bakers or more fools or anything? You get a second baker. Okay. It, just two bakers, that's it? Pretty much. Yeah. Do you yeah. do you buy a bunch of silvers? or You gain them with the fool. What about golds? I mean, you get them from boons. Is that it? You don't, you're that's not going to buy a gold at any it. point? Yeah. And like, yeah, so, like, you probably you get, get the a, one from Haunted Castle, too. You get, like, a billion points. You get, yeah, like, okay. 11 billion points. And, like... The, the thing is, it doesn't work that well without Silk Road, because, like, when the castles are gone, your Silk Roads are worth, like, a lot of points, which is what allows you to keep on putting pressure on someone who's only going for provinces. Yeah, so, like, we talked about one of the main weaknesses of uh, castles in general uh, when it's not supported properly, uh, being that if somebody just ignores castles and buys provinces, um, like... They, they outpace castles in terms of pure points, making castles kind of like a better uh, option than duchy sometimes. Um, but yeah, with Silk Road, that, that changes things a little bit, I guess. Uh, in this case, it has a lot to do with it. Uh, it also means that when you're contesting castles, there's been some theory crafting that Small <clears throat> Castle and King's Castle, like those are not really the ones you care about contesting, but rather Sprawling Castle, because it's four victory cards yeah. that you're denying to a Silk Road player. Well, I, yeah, if you're contesting castles, meaning like you're not incorporating castles into your strategy, I definitely see you ignoring the two that care about a bunch of castles, right? Because like... Those are, you let your, if your opponent gets those and you get everything in between, it's pretty clear who came out ahead on that. Sure, I mean, it's it's a swing in points. Sometimes it's, it can be justifiable, but, like, it never really It's kind matters. of like buying a duke to contest Duchy Duke. It's like, why not just buy the duchy, right? Well, the duchies are gone, but, you know. Right, it feels when, when you really have the bad to do yeah. it. Like, you don't want to do that. Yeah. So, yeah, that's the update on that one. Uh, wanted to give an update on the next one. It was the Colony Platinum board where we had Archive and Den of Sin mm -hmm. as the main sources of draw. There was no village. Uh, so there was some discussion about, like, oh, well, Trade Route's trashing its colony board. you got to do this. And then there was this dancing around, well, what do you use for draw? And Wandering Winder had suggested a big money deck with Hagglers, and it was pretty close. And I think maybe it might be okay to get, like, one Trade Route and then a Haggler. But I uh, just suggest watching the video for more details on that one. Yeah. There's some decently interesting games. Okay. And then finally, uh, the bread from Last Kingdom, which uh, I think we should read again, yeah. Sure, yeah. I mean, we were going to do that anyway, right? Yeah. So uh, the, the kingdom from Last One goes like this. There's Engineer, Herbalist, Scrying Pool, Lookout, Secret Cave, Ironmonger, Jack of All Trades... Mining Village, what? City, Idol, Seaway, and Wolf Den. I, I don't have to call it that this episode. <laughs> the agreement was for last episode only, and we All would right, never even fine. acknowledge it again, actually. Fine. So I'm going to have to edit this out, but I'm probably going to be too lazy to do that. Once again, right, for our so audio-only listeners, Engineer, Herbalist, Scrying Pool, Lookout, Secret Cave, Ironmonger, Jack of All Trades, Mining Village, City, Idol, 
and there's Seaway and Wolfden. Okay. So I believe that both of us agreed that on a 4-3, you open Jack Lookout. Yeah. And I think we sort of agreed on uh, you want to build a deck that uses Jack and plays Jack, but also has Scrying Pool for draw because Scrying Pool is such a good card, right? Yeah, and I was, like, really reticent to agree to that, even though, like, I did end up saying, like, oh, yeah, I think you just do it because uh, Jack of All Trades and Scrying Pool are so bad together in terms of synergy, but they're such individually powerful cards, you kind of don't care. They're just so good. Yeah, Man, both of them good. are so good that, like, you kind of just shove them in the same deck and yeah, deal with the fact that they don't have great synergy with each other. And that's kind of the deck you're building, and from there, um, you're really wanting plus buy, I think, uh, because you've got a huge amount of payload and draw, so the Seaway has to go on something, and... I think we decided that was Mining Village, but I thought it was going to be Ironmonger before we went into these games. Yeah, so, like, I played a couple games with the bots, and it was pretty clear to me that, like, Mining Village is just a really good card for that deck. Yeah. Not only do you just really want those actions consistently early on when you don't have the action-dense deck to support it, but then that trash ability turns out to be really good. So if you're playing against Big Money, I mean, you're just going to crush them, right? Because Big Money just is bad here compared to the other decks you can build. And like, it, having 20 extra dollars on a turn to close things out? Yeah, that's where actually I didn't understand the real threat of Mining Village is one. It, and I think actually putting it on the Mining Village is something I would go into as endgame play because, in my mind, it, the real power of it isn't that you're going to be popping those Mining Villages anytime soon. It's that they're in your deck, and that's a huge threat that your opponent has to play around. Like, he can't leave piles low. If you, if, assuming that your opponent didn't contest mining villages, and you have a bunch of them. Or like even he, if they did. Like, your opponent, yeah, your opponent cannot leave piles low. Your opponent cannot leave a province or two in the pile. Like, you're, you always have this threat of having this huge turn where you just decide to pop all the mining villages and you have a bunch of buys and money. And so it's... The the Ironmongers are not a worse card. In fact, in the deck, they're probably a better card, um, all in all, I'd say. But the mining villages, just having that endgame threat is really worth prioritizing them, I think. Uh, I, I'm not going to say that in all cases they're a better card, but... Sure. Uh, if it's it tough. was, I mean, it was it's, farming it's village, I'd be getting Ironmonger instead a lot of the time. I'd probably get, like, two villages oh, early yeah. on because I want the actions, and then, you know, I would be piling the Ironmongers because it is a good card to have. Yeah, yeah. The the mining village, though, has this, I don't know, the, the threat is really unignorable. If, like, I think you have to put the Seaway token on mining village because that's the only one you're going to have time to gain, you know, massive quantities of. Yeah, I mean, there's Engineer out, and the Engineers are focusing on Mining Village. And, yeah. Uh, once, once you get past the point where you're, like, just getting one of everything because of Magic Lamp. Yeah. You're focusing down those Mining Villages, and that's important. Yeah, the build path actually here was pretty interesting. You wouldn't think that it's one of everything strats. Uh, one, because, one of everything strats are typically really bad, because um, there's there's usually a best choice to, <laughs> to be buying. So, like, I'm going to buy one of everything. No, just pick a strategy and commit to it is usually better. Uh, if you buy one of everything, then you've bought the best card. What yeah. more could you ask for? Yeah, this is true. You found it. You don't know what it is yet, but you found it. Yep. Um, and, like... The Magic Lamp really changes that, especially here. That huge tempo boost from the Three Wishes means that you're going to be getting a lot of uh, the Kingdom really early. Yeah, uh, the, sure. Especially the Secret Caves, which turn out to be pretty good with the Jake of All Trades, because... Like, synergy. Yeah, if you, if you have a village out, then uh, you can have some really big turns that way. Yeah, there's some early on synergy with the Jack of All Trades... And then uh, Secret Cave's great later on because uh, you want to get those last couple cards out of your deck with Lookout, those last couple coppers out, and Secret Cave can enable that. Draw your deck, discard bad cards, play Lookout, and you're guaranteed to trash something that's bad. You know what else was interesting is... Your face. You know what else was interesting (laughs) is that um, if you... uh, Timing, so we decided you want to, you want the scrying bulls, but you got to time your potion by, and that was weird. That was tricky because, like, 
I don't think you get it very early. I don't think you get it until you have Seaway out, because I, I really don't like picking up the potion without some plus buy, because then you end up, if you don't have that, you might end up without plus buy, and then you have this turn of, like, potion seven, and you're sad. Just by scrying pool. You you see way, and then you're no longer sad on your future turns. Right, yeah, but like I wish that I had just bought the potion after I'd see way. I think I think that the time to get the potion. I think you get the potion immediately after you see way. As soon as you can after you get the see way off. So there's there was some research done with opening potion lookout and then like getting the jack immediately afterwards the next time you can. Next time you hit four, and you know. Wandering Winter and I played some games like that, and you know, I lost a game to him when he was playing that. But like, I just played it a lot more, I cannot convince myself that that's any good. Because first of all, like, it's hard to hit four when you open Potion Lookout. Yeah, It's actually right. not likely at all that you can do that. Yeah. So like, you're probably getting an Engineer, and then you might Engineer gain the Jack or something, and then, you know, it's like turn six or seven before you ever play Jack of All Trades. And like, yeah, you get a second Lookout and you're pretty thin, but like, Jack is such a good card... And it feels really? bad to get it that late. So, like, if you don't high roll, you're not going to pick it up then. But also, like, the the deck feels like it's really light on payload. Like, yeah, you can get thin. Yeah, you can draw your deck pretty fast. But, like, I... It's it's the, light on payload or it's inconsistent. Like, it the, the payload is just... Uh, increasing payload proportionately decreases the reliability here, and there's no way around that, really. That's true, and that's that's true no matter what deck you build. So, like, if there was some kind of payload here that wasn't treasure, I would be more pushed towards that build. I would more seriously consider it. But there's not. Like, you can't really do great things on this board unless there's treasures in your deck, and you can't do amazing things unless there's more treasures in your deck. So, like, I want treasures in my deck. And yes, Scrying Pool's good there because it's going to draw some cards, but, like, it's not necessarily the backbone of the deck. I mean, I want to have a lot of them, but, like, you know, mining villages are going to empty pretty much no matter what, and then you're going to be gaining some cities, and, like, there will yeah. be other sources of draw. And so, like, while I still want the pools in my deck, they're very good, it's, like, it's not so important that I give up opening jack for it. Yeah, scrying pool, in a lot of boards where you see it, is the crux of the board. It's the main enabler to whatever you're doing, and uh, the game is, to a degree, going to be revolving around who gets those big turns off really quickly. Um, this was not the case here, because scrying pool was a really good card, but that's all it was, was just a good card for the deck. It wasn't It wasn't the crux, it wasn't the main enabler. Yeah, um, the focal point, if you will. Yeah. Uh, the cities definitely became enabled, uh, so the game toward the mid to late game started to revolve around them. Um, a few things that... Oh, by the way, it, we haven't really mentioned this, but yes, you get a second jack here. Um, I think a lot of that has to do with Wolf, then. Yeah, I was actually going to ask you, what do you think about that? Because, like, you ended up getting the second jack here, and it, it wasn't bad for the deck. It was actually fine, because you you did have these big secret cave, jack-of-all-trades draw turns. Well, you you don't have to play it. It's fine. It's it's a duchy that's easier to draw and costs less. Like, yeah, it's, it, fine. it's a duchy because it negates the wolf den points. Yeah. Sure. Um, a couple of things that did not really pan out. Um, I had talked about on... So, like, 2-5 is, like, you're really sad if you open that. Um, 2-5, two 2-5, five, you get an Engineer, and then you pay off the debt and get a Lookout, and yeah. it's bad. And I think even worse is 5-2. Well, 5-2 is weird, because um, you, you Seaway something, and I had originally said last episode that you Seaway Ironmonger, because Ironmonger's starting out. It's such a better uh, card for your deck than the Mining Village, and you could get them in mass. Uh, you said Seaway Jack... And I've come to a, at least agree that Seawaying Ironmonger was bad. Seawaying Jack, I'm leaning toward it. Ah, oh, God, there's got to be something better. I don't think there is. I just have to, I can't, I refuse to accept it. Well, I can't make you. I can lead a horse to water, but I can't make him accept that Jack is the best opening. Uh, <laughs> you have to get the Jack in the opener. It's too yeah. good, man. So, like, what I what I did when I hit 5-2 um, the first time uh, was I seaweed the Ironmonger, and then I got an Engineer rationalizing that that would get me my Jack really quickly, but it's you're still shuffle behind before you get the Jack. You play it on, like, turn 8. This is the first time you play your Jack. 
And it's sad. That's bad. So, yeah, the second time I seaweighed the jack, and it was a little better. And I'm just uh, I'm just going to be over here. A little salty about yeah. it, but that's okay. Yeah. Salt is delicious. <laughs> so, uh, the Ironmonger, even though it's usually a, an amazing card that goes in pretty much any deck, like, there's no... There's, like, very few decks in Dominion that don't at least want a couple of Ironmongers. Uh, didn't really jive here, not because it wasn't a good card. You just never... It was never the best choice. Okay. Um, Idols, also, I'm surprised, never had play. I had, th- I had talked about maybe if you get ahead on the thinning enough that you punish your opponent for not having thinned enough or not having good enough draws by getting a couple of idols and playing them consistently. Uh, the deck is so inconsistent, even when it's doing well, that the idols don't have time to do that. So, I think yeah. the idols are good against someone who's playing money with Jack. They're good then. I think that that's a worse strategy, though. Right? Correct. Like, um, if your opponent is playing money with Jack and you're doing something that's better... I think that you, yes, you can curse them with idols, but, like, that's a win-more situation, right? Sure, but, like, I mean, I'm playing against a bot. They have five jacks of all trades, so I'm getting two idols. Okay. It's, it's the bot. Wait, does the, does the bot really buy more than two jacks? Oh, yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> I think I've seen the bot get up to six jacks. That is fantastic. Yeah. It's a good card. Yeah, fair. it is. Um, I'm... Don't want six of it. Uh, okay. Maybe, maybe you're missing something. That's there, true. You could learn a lot from Lord Raddington. Man, I wish I was better at Dominion. Um, than, than Lord Raddington? Than Lord Raddington. Yeah, it'll be nice. Yeah, you so... Just see the wisdom. So we've got uh, a lot of the bread... Uh, it, it, there was a, a lot of bread, of bread this time. Yeah, yeah we, it was a triple-decker bread. Uh, so yeah. this time, we are leading into this episode, which is going to be a sort of an introductory... Uh, foray into turning off the autopilot while you're playing Dominion. And I say that this is introductory because this is a concept that really pervades, in my mind, like every aspect of every game of Dominion. So I, I really think that, personally, this could be a series. Um, but today, what we're t- focusing on is turning off the autopilot with regards to your decisions outside the buy phase. So we're going to be talking about Applying critical thinking to playing your actions and your treasures in the optimal sequence, right? Sure. So uh, there are some things you can do. I mean, a lot of times you just play all your action cards and see what happened on your turn. But sometimes it's a little more complex than that. And, uh, you know, if you want to get better at the game, then, you know, maybe you should look at that and see if there's anything you can do better. I mean, that's... That's true for a lot of things. If you yeah. want to get better at Dominion, you should look at your play and see what you can do better. This is true. Actually, uh, it's funny. So, like, you, if you read any of the posts or articles or whatever, what have you, I make on um, FDS and other places, uh, you know that I play a lot of Overwatch, and I am consistently surprised by how much overlap I find between getting better at that game and getting getting better at Dominion. Like, I really only started getting better at that video game when I started looking at it the same way I look at Dominion, which I thought was... Critical thinking. Yeah, Yeah, and, like, in in particular, turning off your autopilot bot brain, right? Yeah. That that was a big deal for me in that video game, and I think it's a big deal in Dominion as well. Yeah, it helps you recognize areas in your game that you can improve. I mean, it's nice when you have someone else to help you do that. Yeah. Uh, shameless plug for your coaching video series because mm-hmm. you know you can just yeah. send your videos to uh, Mr. Jake over here, and yeah. he can he can make a a coaching episode for you, and and maybe you can see things that way. But yeah. you know, maybe maybe you don't want to send in a video to Jake, or maybe maybe you've already sent him fifty five videos, and he's like, dude, calm down. So like. You know, if you're, if you're able to do this for yourself, not only are you going to maybe be a little more self-sufficient, but, like, you're probably not going to, in the middle of a game, send the video to Jake and ask for advice and wait for a response. Your opponent's really patient if that yeah. ends up being viable. So, like, if you can do this for yourself, you can get faster returns on it. So being able to do this kind of thing and look at areas <laughs> of your own play that can be improved... Uh, that's a big deal, and so that's sort of the the aim we're getting at when we talk about turning off the autopilot. Yeah, and like I think we can kind of take a step back a minute and and say like when we we've we've talked before about don't play like a bot. Like we've just, I've worked that little remark into 
you know, our analysis on something like, yeah, don't play it like a bot. What do what do we mean by that and turning off the autopilot and again don't like get six jacks of all trades. <laughs> yeah. And like what what does that particularly mean and why is it important? Like what would you if somebody asked you what the autopilot is uh, that we're talking about, what would you tell them? Uh well I mean it's it's a lot of things, but I think what we're gonna talk about this episode is the order you play your action cards in. So how yeah. you can manipulate the way you play your turns before the buy phase happens to get the most value out of it. Sure. And I'd say that uh, the crux of that really comes down to knowing what your goal is for uh, a couple of turns. And we're not going to talk about how you determine that goal in this episode. That's but hard. Yeah, and like that may be a future episode or maybe not. But today we're going to assume you know what it is. But also, we're just getting into... Like, how do you keep that goal in mind throughout your entire turn and make sure that your everything that you play is moving you toward that goal? Yeah, so like in this in this past kingdom, an example is early game, I have this jack of all trades and I want to trash an estate with it. Yeah. So my goal is, you know, I'm going to have a decision to make when I play this jack of all trades, so I keep the card or do I discard it? And so my, my main goal right now is I want to trash an estate, so that's going to be the the most important thing to me when I'm thinking about do I keep or do I discard the card? Or maybe should I be playing some... Should I be discarding an estate to my secret cave because I'm going to play a jack later? Well, maybe I should keep the estate so I can trash it, or maybe I think I'm going to find another one. So sure, like, yeah. So the, the, that's, a, that's an example of like an early game. My goal is to trash an estate, so I'm going to maximize the chances of trashing an estate. Yeah, and, like, I do want to just reassure any of the listeners here that, like, this is not going to be as abstract and theoretical as we're making it sound. We're mostly going to be talking about examples, right? And, like, ways, concrete ways that you can bring this into your game. It's really hard to talk about this stuff without an exa- without an example in front of you. Yeah. But, like, at the same time... In fact, I'd say this is probably going to be one of the least theoretical episodes. Yeah, but, it, but at the done. same time, like, you, you kind of... This isn't necessarily about, like, we're going to list off examples and little tips and tricks. Sure. I mean, right. we're going to do that. That's not useful by itself. But, yeah, but that's not the point. Yeah. yeah. We, wanna, we want you to be able to think about the way you play, to adjust your frame of mind in your action phase, so that you you recognize maybe this situation is about to occur, and now you're in the right frame of mind to be thinking, oh, hey, I have a decision to make here. Yeah. What should I be doing? Well, what's my goal? And then how do I maximize the chances of that happening? And I will say that this, like, obviously listening to something like this doesn't by itself make you a better player. <laughs> Unlike our, our episode on Jack of All Trades, where you listen, you, in, you listen to that episode, you absorb all of the deep golden, shining wisdom that spews out of both of our mouths into this microphone, directly into your ear holes, and then instantly you're like, I am wiser. I know more things about jack-of-all-trades or jake-of-all-trades than I did before. And and you are instantly a better Dominion player, because that's what happens with Making Luck, a Dominion podcast. Yes. But this episode's different. Right, this one's a little different. (laughs) Adam read my outline and he's making fun of me. But, um... (laughs) Um, so like I one of my every word of that the uh so like one thing i want to like make a point on is like we, we've made uh, like episodes on cards and like or like concepts that we've we've been kind of exhaustive about like we've at least tried to be and like this is this one in particular isn't one that you just listen to and say okay got it i understand turning off the autopilot now we can move on to the next thing um, like this is this is a process like Turning off the autopilot is really kind of synonymous with just saying, like, play better, right? <laughs> and, like, you're going to see that a lot. If you um, go and listen to some really high-end Dominion streams of, like, top-level players, you're going to hear them, like, really thinking about what their goal is. and, and Well, they'll be thinking about it. Well, they'll be, and they'll be trying <laughs> to structure their play around that. Like, That's you never true. hear them just say, okay, I'm playing this card because it's in my hand. Uh, like, they're like, okay, my goal for the shuffle is to get a gold, so what do I do to make that happen? So, like, if you really want to get better at this kind of thinking, one 
really good way to do it is to listen to some really skilled players uh, in the videos they've made. Also, I've made videos, and those might be good for knowing what not to do, too. So, um, I, I've do, I do my best. So, yeah, um, Adam's uh, videos are pretty good for that. I think he's pretty good at illustrating why he's doing what he's doing. Um, and I try to do those as well, and you'll see some other really great players out there listen to their videos, too. Like, and if they don't explicitly spell it out for you, it's a good exercise. Like, if they make a decision, you should either be thinking, oh, I would be making the same decision and knowing why. Yeah. Or, you know, if they do something different, then that's a good time to pause. And, and this doesn't have to be when you're watching a video. You just watch your opponent when you're playing them. Just think about, like, okay, they're doing something different. Why are they doing that? And if you can't come up with why, then, I mean, you know, maybe maybe it's because they're just learning or, I don't know, they're doing something that you think is bad. But it could be that, like, you know, it's something you didn't see and maybe sure. you can learn from it. Yeah, I mean, one of the actual huge advantages I personally have is that uh, when I put my games up um, on YouTube, I have some very intelligent feedback, usually. Like, people will, like, give comments and be like, hey, did you realize that you're a f***ing idiot because you didn't do this part? <laughs> Um, and I'll be like, wow, I knew that, but I didn't know why. Um, so and the why is so much more important than the why. Yeah, um, yeah. So like the, I will say like it's it's been a really telling experience since I started recording my own gameplay, and I've gotten some. I actually have one that I was like so embarrassed at how suboptimally I'd played. I didn't even publish it, uh, but I am gonna publish it because I got some feedback on it. Um, I'll do that when I get home, I guess. Sure you will. But, uh, maybe. Uh, but yeah, anyway, so, do that. Like, listen back to your games. It's, I can't stress enough how helpful it really is. Yeah, like, if you're, if you're at the point where, like, you are really wanting to get competitive and get a lot better, this is a tool that you can use, and, you know, getting other people to think critically, but, you know, make sure you don't forget to think critically about what you're doing. Yeah, so, um, there is one aspect that I think uh, really exemplifies to a T what we're talking about, and it's on the online client. Um, and th- this is going to be, I think, the the quickest way that you can start to see what the impact of this autopilot thing really is. And that's that's a certain button that you can press at the end of your action phase. Yeah, I like that button. I, uh, I, I think that that button needs to needs to go i wish there was an autoplay that would make it go away when i tell it to <laughs> i'm serious yeah can can we have that please wait an autoplay to get rid of the autoplay Th- to get rid of the play all treasures button yeah yeah so like the play all treasures button is what we're talking about and that that really sums up uh autopilot in your midturn Right. Yeah, I click it like all the freaking time. Even and you when shouldn't. I shouldn't. Yeah. yeah, and it's it's so bad. Like it, it discourages you from thinking about what's in your hand. I do it too. I'm a hypocrite. Do as I say, not as I do. But go a week without pressing that ever and just <laughs> Just put a sticky note on your monitor where it goes. Yeah, and just You're say not allowed to click that. Don't push this button. Draw a picture of a d on it. I don't care. <laughs> uh, but yeah, don't don't press that button, the play all treasures button. Yeah, I guess. I mean, you'll take longer, and, and maybe your opponents are patient enough to deal with that. But, like, you know, that's, that's just one easy way you can be more critical of your play, is to take away shortcuts like that. Sure. Yeah, and, like, honestly, I get more out of one really good game of Dominion than I do out of, like, playing two kind of crappy games in a row. Against a bot, yeah. Yeah, or, like, where I... Have no, I've made suboptimal decisions. Even when I win, those feel bad. So I'd sure. rather. I think most people would rather have one good game of Dominion than a couple of not so great ones. Sure. Um, so uh, I have a, I have maybe a couple of concrete examples. Sure. I can get to. So one thing is, uh, I, I like to call it calculation, and I think this is something that is borrowed from chess. Right, uh, mm-hmm. I make a move in chess, and then you know the the game that goes on from there. I calculate that a few moves ahead, and if I like it, then maybe I'll do it. Or if it doesn't work out for some reason, you know, I've calculated it, and now I know it doesn't work out, so do this other thing. And a lot of times in Dominion, you don't want to do this calculation. You're like, well, I could draw three cards with my jack of all trades, 
that must be better than if I drew two cards with my jack of all trades. Uh, and, you know, a lot of times it is, but you could do more work and you could figure out, oh, well, what are these two cards likely to be? How much money am I likely to have? Or if you're yeah. at the end of a shuffle when, when this is going to matter, you know exactly what those cards are going to be. And so you know exactly what that is, and you can calculate that. You can calculate what your shuffle's going to look like and what situation that's going to be. Or you can calculate where you trigger the shuffle and you hit seven instead of six, which doesn't matter in the slightest. And now you're in a worse situation because you've caused the shuffle. So, sure. like, you can take these heuristics where drawing <clears throat> cards is good and having more money is good. And, like, and, yeah, it's and good. And that you didn't buy cards to not play them. Sure. Like, you can use these heuristics, and that can get you kind of close. But uh, in certain situations, I mean, you can start by doing all of them, and that'll take forever. Uh, it's individual for where you want to do this yourself. But, like, in certain situations, you want to think about, well, wait a second, if I have these extra monies this turn, that doesn't really help. It doesn't make my turn better, because I wanted to do this thing instead. I'm going to buy a scrying pool this turn. Yeah, and that's where we come back to again. What's the goal for your turn? Yeah, like, it doesn't matter if I have five potion or seven potion. I'm just buying a scrying pool. So, yeah. like, I don't care about that. And, and if I, that sacrifice is something real, like, maybe trashing cards or, or makes my next turn worse. Yeah, like, re- remember hitting five potion instead of seven potion if you're just buying a scrying pool. Those dollars could have been there for next turn, and you drew them sure. this turn, and you didn't have to do that. Yeah, like, I, I could have left those markets on my deck for next turn, Yeah, and they would have right. been good there. But now I played them this Well, markets have plus buy, uh, peddlers. So, so, so there's that. So, like, uh, I think yeah. the, the real simple concrete example of where you want to calculate is out is you open courtyard X, you play your courtyard on turn three, and now you can determine, like, what I have this hand, what I have next hand. Don't just take the best card for this hand, right? right. Figure out this hand, figure out next hand. Do the calculation instead of using those heuristics. If you're more disciplined, you take a little bit more time to do that calculation or to know when you should take more time to do that calculation. You'll learn more about yourself, and you can use that to play better. Yeah, and, like, recognizing when it is the right call to hold a card back or to uh, not play a card for its maximum impact this turn requires you to take one of the next steps in terms of analyzing Dominion and getting better. And that step is considering the cards you don't see. Right? So, like, understanding when you don't want to play the Pearl Diver because it's going to cause a bad shuffle, or when uh, you're not going to, uh, like you said, maybe take the best card for this hand, that requires you not just to look at the cards in play, not just to look at the cards in your hand, but to be thinking about the cards that aren't in front of you, that are in your deck and discard pile, and, and what's, not just this turn, what's next turn look like? What's the shuffle look like? Yeah, like a lot of your goals, especially in the early game, are not going to be goals for a particular turn, but maybe goals for a shuffle. Yeah. So, like, like, I could have my silver this turn or next turn, but if I have the next turn, I'm going to hit that price point that I care about. And it all happens before I shuffle, so I don't care. Yeah, and, like, the obvious example of this, of the guy who is not thinking about the cards that he doesn't see right now, is a guy who has a steward in his deck. Steward's a great card. I love steward. Yeah, it's my favorite Dominion card. Um, And... So what he does with that steward is he trashes cards. That's like usually what you're doing with your steward because that's awesome. And so he plays his steward and trashes cards with it every time. And then all of a sudden he uh, draws his steward without anything left uh, to trash. Oops. Yeah, and then he has to uh, buy coppers so that he can get a silver. That's, oh, that's an ex- awkward. That's an extreme example. Yeah, right? don't do that. That's not. That's a. Fi- <laughs> That's a fictional dude doing something uh, abstracted. He's, and, he's and playing like a robot. Yeah, he's playing like a bot, though. But like the point is that he has the heuristic, and he's and he didn't turn off the autopilot. He says, "Oh, turning trashing cards is good. Therefore, trashing these cards right now must be good." <laughs> um, and that's not true, right? So that's an extreme example. And like you can think about that comedy Dominion video everybody knows, where that guy plays Chapel. And he's just like, well, clearly this is optimal, and he trashes all of his yeah. all of his cards. That's something that like nobody in their right mind would actually do, but 
if you are not thinking about the cards you can't see, you might be getting closer to doing that than you realize. Sure. Uh, that's that's a good... Um, uh, it's a good example, exemplar, I suppose. Sure. For, like, you know, don't don't play like a bot. Yeah. Um, Basically, uh, yeah. Go ahead. Finish, finish uh, well, all I was going to say is that what we take from this is that it's never okay to stop rating the game state. Like, it's really never acceptable not to at least have some idea of what your next step is, what your goal for the shuffle is. Um, and if you don't have that, if you don't have in mind some direction for what you want to do over the next couple of turns, then it's time to slow down and think. You need to get that before you proceed. Because yeah. if you play cards, you're not just maybe not getting the most out of them that you could. You could be actively harming yourself. And that might be something you can't come back from, and that's the danger of playing like a bot. Sure. Uh, you uh, you definitely need that. that. That seems like a minimum requirement in order right. for you to have like some kind of focus or direction to your deck, which you know is good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I have some concrete examples... Um, Let's let's get a little more concrete and specific here. So, like, um, I have a bunch of action cards in my hand. What order do I play them in? Um, and this usually the order matters, like when you're drawing cards from your deck, right? I mean, yeah, that's a, the biggest one. A lot of times, it's like it, you know, there's the general rule, like, oh, you want to play your villages and your non-terminals first. And and yes, that's a great starting point. That gets you a lot of the way there. Um, so if I've got like villages and Smithies or villages and some other cards in my deck, um, then yeah, you probably want to play all your villages before anything else because then you get more flexibility on the cards you can play later in the turn. So this could matter in the case of like draw to X. Yeah. If I have five actions now, I can play a couple of terminals and then play my draw to X cards till an action left over. And it matters that I played these villages first instead of uh, maybe some other cards. I get the flexibility to choose once I've drawn more cards and more information. I can figure out what's the best order to play my cards. Yeah, definitely. Or, or like when you're using develop or something. You know, you play a lot of villages because then you can play your develop and then continue to draw the cards you top decked and, you know, better time that way. Yeah, now I think it's worth noting when we break that rule a little bit too, though. Yeah, right? so there are some counterexamples... Um, one of them, I, I guess the easiest one is, let's say you're playing like a village envoy deck. So, yeah. uh, you play a village, you play five villages and you play an envoy. And now you've given your opponent some information. Sure, yeah. Because now they know, oh, well, I'm swimming in village, I have a lot of actions. So, I'm gonna, draw, I'm gonna deny maybe some terminal cards that you would have liked to see, maybe some more of your envoys. Sure. Where if you had just played Village Envoy... They now, might be a little more yeah, skeptical. They, they don't know what you're short on. Yeah. They, they don't really know, other than the five cards in that draw. You're giving them less information to work with. Right. And there that's, are similar cards that give the same kind of effect. That's the key that you're looking at, is like, give your opponent as little information as you can before they make a choice. That's why when you're playing your advisors, um, you typically play them as soon as you get them, pretty much, because that's the time when you're going to have as few cards in play for your opponent to know anything about. Um, that's why if you have a contraband in your deck, it's the first treasure you play, right? Yeah. Because uh, you're and please don't play auto play all treasures. Don't press auto play treasures because it'll be the last one if you do that. Bad. Don't do it. No way. But yeah, so like if you play if you have a contraband, you play that as your first treasure. Your opponent doesn't know what price point you're going to hit. They might not know what card to name. Um, if you are playing your advisors, again, you play them as soon as possible. If you're playing your envoys, it's a little more complicated because that's terminal, but you, you get the idea, like yeah. Adam said. Um, the other thing is that there are some cards that will like give your opponent a choice, and sometimes you need to play around that. Like, we're talking about governors, right? So, oh, sure. Yeah. yeah, if you are going... A lot of the time, you would rather draw cards and then uh, with your governor... And then before you play a governor to trash a card so that you can choose from the best cards to trash. But, like, if you are going to be uh, trashing a card with governor, you might actually want to do that before you draw cards so that your opponent doesn't have as many cards to choose from. Or the same could be said of something like bishop. Play your militia first, right? Yeah, the... <laughs> the uh, the rule of thumb here, when we're talking about giving opponents choices, and this is, uh, I think, a heuristic that is good to apply 
almost all the time, is that when you're going to give your opponent a choice, make sure they have as few cards in hand as possible to make it with. Right? Yeah, it's if like you wanted to draw cards first, so you want to do the opposite for them. Exactly. If your opponent is ever going to be making a choice on your turn, you come out ahead if they have a smaller hand size while they're doing it. Yeah. So uh, there's there's another counterexample in this same vein that is a, a little more subtle, and, and it's like about granularity of draw. So like you play a village and it draws one card. You play a smithy, it draws three cards. So the the smithy draws a lot of cards, but you can't choose to like draw two cards and then uh, draw the next one later, right? Yeah. So this matters if if I draw my deck, right? If I play a village and then I have two cards left in my deck. And what I really would like to do is play my workshop to gain a silver and then draw it with a smithy, for example. Uh, I would really like to be able to do that. And so uh, the fact that my smithy draws all three cards at once is bad if I don't already have my workshop in hand, if, if the workshop's one of those last two cards, right? Sure. So that's the simple example of, like, uh, the granularity of draw. So what this really means is that if I have a deck with a lot of cards and I want to do some gain and play tricks, then I want to be playing the cards earlier on that have the coarser granularity of draw, that draw me more cards for one play, and leave like my cantrips, the things that only draw one card, as, as far off later onto my turn as I can. Because then even if that workshop is the bottom card of that shuffle, I can draw it exactly, not waste any draw, and then gain my thing, and then just play my one card to, to draw the thing that I gain. And I'm efficient, I'm not wasting anything. And I don't want to beat a dead horse here, but that's a really good example that again comes back to this general concept we were talking about of having a goal in mind first, and then playing your cards to achieve that goal, not just playing the cards that you have in hand and reacting to that. Like, Adam is talking about having the goal in mind to gain a silver with his workshop and then play that silver that turn. And then he's talking about playing his cards in such a way that allows him to do that. Um, so he doesn't just play Village Smithy, Village Smithy whenever he can. He's got this goal, and he tries to play his cards to achieve it. Right. I mean, without the goal, it doesn't really matter... Right. What order you play your cards is, as long as you get them on the table, as long as you know you have enough villages to not run out of actions, right? Yeah. That's, that's fine. But you could be doing so much more with your turn, right? In this yeah. situation you're describing. So, like... By, by keeping a goal in mind. Yeah, so, like, I, I like to use my opponent's turns to think about, does it really matter? But like, how could it possibly matter what order I play these cards in? And sure. if I can't think of anything, fine. You know, I just click and I don't think about it. But that's really rare. Yeah, the I mean, if you have a lot of turns, or you you think about a lot of different decisions in Dominion, and your answer keeps coming up with "I don't think this matters," you're probably wrong. <laughs> I like I can't imagine that that's correct. You have to. There has to be something you could be doing better. Like there really usually is. And if you can't find it, have somebody else look for you. There's plenty <laughs> of really good players out there who are perfectly willing to take a look at your play and, and tell yeah. you, by the way, if you had done this, you would have gotten that gun. Yeah, they have absolutely yeah. nothing better to do. No, yeah. not a thing. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> another general principle is, uh, we've sort of touched on it, draw cards first. So, yeah. like, I have I have two actions, and I have a smithy and a militia in my hand. Yeah. Don't play the militia first, right? Right. And, and you know, this is kind of basic, but, like, if you play the smithy first and you drew a non-terminal or even a village or something, yeah. then you know you could play that card. And if you hadn't spent the the action on your militia first, now you know it could it could be different because you know maybe I'm playing militia before masquerade, and if I have the actions to do that, and I only want to stick it to my opponent, maybe I choose to do it that way. But in the absence of something like that, the general principle is to draw cards first. You know, get more information before yeah. you commit to the, the things that you're going to do on your turn. And of course, if you're playing Militia and then Masquerade, you are a bit of a sadist. I will say that. Is that bad? Yeah, no, you're going to win that game. Sweet. But, uh, I you're love also, You're also mean. and Whatever. You're gonna they, make you know what? Cry. They'd be doing it to me if I wasn't doing it to This them. is true. It's a dog-eat-dog -dog world out there. It's yeah. a Masquerade-eat... Masquerade world, yeah. 
I don't know where I'm going with that. That sounds fine. It's a noble eat noble world. Yeah, there, okay, there we so, go. Okay, so yeah, um. and and it's not just it's not just smithy and militia, right? Like if I have an oasis in my hand, yeah, I want to use all of my other plus cards before I play that oasis, so I have a wider selection of things that I can discard. Maybe I didn't hit that estate until the very last draw, and I'm happy to discard that estate to my oasis. Sure, maybe that's a thing. So uh, you know that that's the same principle of draw cards first. You want to draw as many cards as you can before you have to make other decisions about what's going on. Yeah, so uh, there is one really big elephant in the room, I think, uh, one big concept that comes down to playing your cards optimally and the biggest example of when this matters. Yeah, I'm thinking shuffles. Shuffles are it. Five shuffles. Yep. And so when there really needs to be a big blinking red light in your head is when you're about to shuffle your deck. In yep. fact, a few cards before that. So um, actually, Adam did a coaching video for me when I was playing with Warehouse and Apothecary. And one of the biggest mistakes I was making was not thinking about my shuffle soon enough. There are a lot of ways you can screw up a shuffle. Yeah, I've. I think I've done all of them. Yeah. Yeah, I think I did all of them that <laughs> um, But yeah. Well, so. a the carry is hard because it reaches five cards into the deck, right? Yeah, exactly. And that's a lot. There's only I th- there's only one card I can think of that consistently does more, which is Patrol. That's seven, and uh, man, that's a lot of cards. Yeah. So normally, like, when you're three or four cards away from a shuffle, you can just stop and think, hey, wait a second, I'm getting close to this. Let's let's make sure we don't cause a bad shuffle here. And if you decide you're not going to cause the bad shuffle... You know, you can play your turn around, well, let's just coast right on up to the end of that shuffle, and then you'll be fine. And that's yeah. usually the best place you want to be. If you have cards that are bigger numbers, you know, you're going to have to think about that earlier. That's harder. But, you know, you, you don't want to cause bad shuffles. Right. Uh, because, like, you making... If you have made your turn better and caused a bad shuffle, it's kind of... It's not like you created value for your current turn. It's kind of like you stole it from next turn. Yeah, so, like, when you're drawing your deck, or you want to draw large portions of your deck, uh, we talked about this in the cycling episode. Yeah. Like, the thing that's important there is not just playing your best cards, because you want to play all your cards, right? The, The important thing is you want to find your deck control cards at the start of your turn. So, consistency, right? Yeah. So, so if that's your focus, um, normally the best way you can, uh, in a vacuum, maximize that consistency for next turn is just ending your turn on a clean shuffle. Sure. You don't want to cause a bad shuffle, like I've got ten cards in my discard pile, and they're all bad things I discarded to my warehouses this turn. <laughs> and I don't want to make it so that the five cards I start my next hand with are cards. those cards. Right. Because you're going to have a bad time. It's like what happens when you French fry when you should have pizza. Right. You're yeah. going to have a bad time. It's a bad time indeed. Yeah. Uh, and it's definitely something that can be avoided a lot of the time by stopping at the bottom of a shuffle. But there are other things that you consider, and again, they all come back to what's my goal for the turn. And if you've already achieved your goal for the turn and you're at the bottom of a shuffle, your decision's easy. You just stop. Um, but if you are not quite to as good as you think your turn can be, and you're about to cause a shuffle, then you have a little bit more to consider, right? Because uh, you have to think, like, how bad is the shuffle I'm about to cause? These cards in front of me, uh, these cards that are in my hand, these are about to... This discard pile is about to become my deck, and they're not in it. Um, but... If my turn's not over after that, can I just draw through all or most of it to make it not matter anymore? Like, if you're about to cause a bad shuffle, but you're about to draw 90% of it, you're only going to have to draw one card of it, eh, maybe it's not such a big deal. Yeah, especially if, like, there's eight cards in there and one or two of them you actually do want to play. They, they increase the quality of your turn. Yeah. Like, it, maybe it's even worth the risk of, of triggering, like, a semi-bad shuffle in order to have a shot at playing those cards. It's like yeah. you have to weigh right. you have to weigh like the cards that are going to be in that shuffle, how much they benefit you versus the potential downside of having that badness for next turn. So right. Like if you've got a scavenger, like it doesn't matter. <laughs> like yeah. trigger a bad shuffle. It doesn't matter. Or a messenger. Yeah, like that's that's fine. There's there's nothing wrong with that. Sure. 
So I do think it's worth noting that there is one more level you can go into with this. We need to go deeper. Yeah, there is one thing. Once you understand uh, how to get a handle on your goals and over the over shuffles and turns, that's when you can start thinking as well about your opponent's goals. Because we've talked before about how keeping your opponent from doing something is a lot of the time as good as doing it yourself. So that's why cursing is good. Yeah. yeah, like why junking is good. Because yeah. if your goal is to get control of your deck, your opponent not doing that is also your if goal. You, if you take a number two like all over their discard pile, like a big steaming... Mm. And then you make them shuffle. Yeah. Yeah, then that's pretty bad. Yeah, it's not good. So, like... And, and I do, we did say this for last because, again, you, you want to have a handle on your goals, and that kind of, that's implicit in trying to react to your opponent's goals. But you can think about, like, what is your opponent actually trying to do? Or do they have the same priorities you do right now? And if they do, uh, well, it's kind of simple. You just try to do it better than them, faster, more efficiently. Draw better. Get lucky. Yeah. Um, that's, that's our main advice. But uh, the Make other. Your own shuffle luck. But, like, when they're different, when their goals are different than yours, like, when they're playing kind of a different deck than you, then things get a little more interesting. Like, I think the most poignant example is probably uh, you see your opponent has bought, like, three chariot races. Okay. Um, so your goal, your opponent's goal at that point is to be getting money and points off of their chariot races, right? That implies that they want to have a more expensive deck than you. Okay. So... Uh, your goal's not the same as that, and uh, you're you're maybe thinning and getting control of your deck. You could look at thinning as a counter to Chariot Race in that respect. Sure. And so, like, you, you have this immediate bot mentality that tells you thinning an estate is better than thinning a copper, because the estate doesn't do anything. Uh, but how many Chariot Races do your opponent buy again? 55. And what else, what's all in your deck, and what's the average cost of their deck? 55. Maybe you thin the copper instead. 55. <laughs> and maybe you thin the copper instead and leave the estate in there and watch them play three chariot races to do nothing and just be sad. Or maybe you keep curses in your deck because your opponent's playing Mountebank. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously, again, we're into some weird situations that... Hashtag curses are better than silvers. Yeah, there we go. Uh, but, like... You know, it's it's worth thinking about these things. Definitely keeping track of what your opponent is trying to do comes up, uh, especially when we're looking at uh, things like knights. Yeah, like if they build a deck that's vulnerable to a certain type of attack, yeah, uh, get that attack. And yeah, play it. Sure. Yeah, do that because then you'll win a lot. Yeah, definitely. Well, so, uh, that's that's about all I had for the yeah. lunch meat. Do we have, like, an outro or anything? Well, we have some bread. Oh, yeah. I forgot we do that. Yeah. All right. <laughs> we, we had three breads already, but we're going to have another bread. Oh, God. Yeah. I hope you like bread. Yeah, I'm going to get diabetes. Uh, so, <laughs> you don't get diabetes from bread? Uh, is it the diabetic people can't have bread? Uh, they, they probably have to be careful about it, but, like... Do diabetic people will get weak when you show them bread? It's like Superman with kryptonite? Leave or... a comment in the comments section. I, I, I'm, i like, I have diabetes in my family, so, like, I'd like to know what's gonna be yeah. the rest of my life. Yeah, same here. I might even have diabetes in my pancreas, uh, so <laughs> let's find out if I'm gonna be able to keep enjoying the lovely bread and lunch meat of <laughs> Making Luck, a Dominion podcast. Dominion podcast. Alright. So, I... The thinking behind creating a kingdom that is about turning off the autoplay in your head uh, was interesting, right? Like, there's I no... just force warehouse into it, really. Yeah, <laughs> there's no, there's no like. But I think we successfully did it, and part of the reason he just rolled the first kingdom. Um, you don't. That's he successfully did it because uh, you don't really have to try too hard to come up with a kingdom where decisions matter. So uh, I, this was the second one. You were getting a glass of water. Oh, uh, what was the first one? It was garbage. Oh, there God. was no plus buy. It didn't matter. Okay, great. So um, uh, in this kingdom, uh, we're, it has some cards. I'm going to read those cards. Uh, we have a split pile, which is patrician with emporium scheme. Smugglers, Warehouse, Wishing Well, Scavenger, 
Treasure Trove, Altar, Grand Market, Bank, and our landmark is Palace. Once more for our audio-only listeners, we have Patrician, Sheem, Smugglers, Warehouse, Wishing Well, Scavenger, Treasure Trove, Altar, Grand Market, Bank, and the landmark is Palace. So, what yeah, did you do here? Uh, yeah. There's no village. There's no village. That's awkward. Except for... Yeah, no, there's no village. Yeah, so I'm looking at non-terminals. I see Grand Market, Scheme, Patrician Emporium, Wishing it, Well, Warehouse. I think Grand Market is the highest payload non-terminal in the game, right? It's a real good card. Yeah, I mean, you'd have to quantify that next to groundskeeper but that's different okay so yeah well grand market's the highest turn payload in the game that's non-terminal uh well it's it's a real good card and you know playing a lot of grand markets is really good mm-hmm. so i'm gonna maybe try and do that uh the only way to increase hand size is wishing well there's not really some reliable way that you can know what the top card of your deck is it's not really something you can rely on yeah i mean is there a way to do it there's no no there really isn't because the wishing well draws a card you can't even really do it with patrician uh, it's yeah it's pretty tough yeah. to do here i'm not uh, there's no reliable way to do it so that's i mean that doesn't mean you put don't put it in a deck cuz you might so, like, there's this deck you can build that gets an early altar, tries to thin out the starting cards, put yeah. a lot of Grand Marks in the deck, and just play a lot of Grand Markets. Maybe get some Emporiums for some VP. Well, like, the altar is the only way to get the Estates out of your deck, too. And we've talked before about how when a card is the only way to get Estates out of your deck, you almost just... that You just buy it because... And that's... I mean, but that's Autopilot, so... Yeah. I mean, like... I, I think that it applies here, though, because you want those estates out of your deck. I, I think it's non-trivial. I think I think a money-based strategy could be pretty good here. Okay, Treasure pa- Trove has synergy with Palace. Yeah, there's there's Palace and there's Treasure Trove. I uh, I think if you get the altar, it's because you hit an early six, and you sure. can justify it by saying, oh, well, I'm going to get some Treasure Troves with this that'll gain me lots of gold, so you do that. On the other hand, if it takes you a while to hit six, I could see not getting the altar and just leaving the estates around. Maybe, sure. maybe getting some, like a warehouse or something could be slightly better for you, although, I don't know, I want a lot of silver because I want palace points. I think that money deck is pretty competitive. It's definitely faster, I think. It, it also has a, like, it's easier for that deck to get palace points. Yeah. If it, I had to pick right now... I actually think I think I would play money. So let's see. I am probably opening scavenger and awkward silence. Scavenger silver, I'm going to say. And what I do from there is going to kind of depend on how early I hit six. Like Adam said, the altar seems real good if, if you can get it early. I might even get it in the mid to late game just to really get those estates out of the deck. I hate having them. Scavenger Silver certainly gives you a good shot at hitting six, which yeah. is something you want to do if you want an altar. Uh, actually, even if you don't want to... I mean, that's, that's probably good. Scavenger Silver is probably a good opening no matter what you do, although I'm really tempted by double silver and just playing big money, but Scavenger's probably better. So the other... I mean, I, I, the, the problem with the Scavenger is that if you do happen... is that it, the point of it is to get an altar quickly and to, you know, obviously cycle that silver, in this case, that you bought as soon as possible or, you know, make sure that you are playing your altar as often as possible once mm-hmm. you do have it. But, of course, if you draw it with the altar, then you're real sad. Yeah, you know, that's life. Whatever. That Scavenger is life. the tribe has spoken. Get out of here. Yeah, so... Do you think you want to go for that Grand Market deck, though? It's tough. It really is, because I am probably looking at enabling it with Warehouse, but it does pretty much kind of forfeit Palace points. Um, yeah. 
it's going to be getting... I think it's going to be getting bunches of patricians, right? I, I mean, there's going to be spare buys. There's going to be spare buys, and I for, think the patricians are actually market, a good, a good like, card for yeah, the deck. Yeah, if you have a bunch of grand markets in your deck, the patricians <laughs> could draw cards. So that's yeah, pretty good. and I mean, I could see... You know, okay, I could also see skipping scavenger and going silver, silver, and then once you have the altar, planning on getting a bunch of schemes. Scheme is a great card in that deck. Yeah. For sure. And then once you have the schemes, like if you do decide to go for the Grand Markets, you can be using the schemes as if it were another copy of Grand Markets. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, if I'm, if I'm going to be pressured right now and put on the spot, I am probably going to be going for that deck that uses Alter to thin the estates, but instead of turning them into treasure troves, it's going to be turning them into um, maybe things like Wishing Well, Scheme, and Warehouse, and then aiming to be getting lots of Grand Markets. Possibly, uh, with those spare buys, picking up some Patricians because they're a good card for the deck. Uh, maybe getting an Emporium only when it's getting me the points. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that buying two Provinces a turn is really going to happen. I think that you could very easily go for a province duchy a turn. Sure. Uh, I mean, I I think it's close. The grand market deck versus the money deck. I think it's close. My money's on the money deck. A. A. I'm I'm glad there's a little disagreement. I think it's close. Wouldn't be surprised if I'm wrong, but yeah, I'm, I'm gonna stick to my guns. Uh, yeah, I mean, I really do want to play both. Um, and you know, which one you go with might actually come down to how quickly it hits six, right? Could. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so uh, let us know what you think. What would you do in this deck, on this board? Uh, would you maybe play with a bank? I don't know. Mm, bank know. is good with lots of draw. Bank is, that's yeah, tough, I don't so see bank being a I'm bank. not really okay. warm on it. And Smuggler's is terminal, so yeah. like, it's really tough to put it in that deck. But, but it's also potentially super in a grand good. market. Yeah, or so. an altar. Even you're happy with an altar. Yeah, but I don't like Smuggler's, so I don't want to play with it. <laughs> Smuggler's kind of irritating sometimes yeah. of a card, especially in a three-player game. Um, oh boy, those are those are fun. Those are just the best when you feel like you get cheated by sitting next to the wrong person. Yeah, um, <laughs> so good. Yeah. Well, uh, thanks for listening to this episode of Making Luck, a Dominion podcast. Yeah. Uh, hit us up. Uh, leave a comment in the comments section. Go to adamhorton.com. Visit the forums. Let us know what you think about this kingdom. Or about our episode. It was a little more theoretical. I am topless at the moment. Yeah. But, uh, you know, if you're into that kind of thing, let us know. If you want to hear more on a specific area of turning off the autopilot, yeah. um, you know, if you if you give us direction for these next episodes for what you want to hear, yeah, you'll I mean, probably hear it. There's lots that we didn't go into today, yeah. definitely. Like, there's... Um, we, we've talked a little bit about endgame play as well, and I think... And gameplay could be in a, uh, another direction we go with this. Yeah. If we do go that way. There's a there's a lot more related to end gameplay that isn't covered by what we've done in the podcast. Definitely. But yeah, uh, we'll see you next time. Bye. So, did anyone uh, give you suggestions on what to do for the raffle? Uh, no. Nobody has said anything yet, so... Does that mean no one cares about the raffle? Uh, I don't think that's what it means. I think they're intimidated to be involved in something. So, um... Grand. And, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, bigger than themselves. Yeah. And I, I feel the same way. Yeah, uh, so today's raffle, um, <laughs> uh, let's see, <laughs> well, there was, there was Mother's Day recently, um, you can raffle off my mom? Oh, that's an idea, I was actually thinking about a candle, though, um, oh, okay. but we could give away somebody's actual mother as well. Good luck with that. Okay. Yeah, so uh, please give me ideas for the raffle. I'm seriously struggling. Um, release me from this bird. <laughs> oh, God, so... Welcome to Making Love. <laughs>
A Dominion podcast. <laughs> On its last legs, you might say.